Uh, let me welcome you all this morning here. Uh, my name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here. And if it's your very first time, thank you so much for coming and joining us today uh, here at Connect. And I know we've got some folks who are watching online as well, so good morning to you. Um, I bet if I was to ask this morning, there's probably some parents here in the room that could tell some stories of some things that may have happened with your kids, like a moment where you just, you know, you, you welled up with some pride over the response of something your kids did, or maybe as a kid, you remember something you did, and you, you just remember that when you did this, your parents were super proud of you, it's that moment, you know, where there's uh, such a lot of love between a parent and a child, and I was thinking about this in my family, I've got three wonderful children, and I could tell all sorts of stories about some of the things that they have done over the years. Thanks, Nick. And, um, but one recently that springs to mind, uh, my oldest son, Ben, he's a senior in college, and his entire college life, he's played soccer uh, for the college soccer team there. And this last year, the team did really well, and they had a chance of winning their conference. And it all came down to the last game. And uh, Casey and I were watching this game live on TV. We could dial in and watch this streaming uh, game there on TV from the college website, and we're watching, and his team went up 1-0, and that was super exciting, because it was if they won, they won the whole conference. The second half was just a nail-biter, because this other team was giving it all they could. I mean, they were determined to come back and equalize, maybe even win, so it was just one shot after another, and the goalie saved them. There were goals saved off the line. It was just so exciting, and the clock's counting down the last few seconds, and finally, it comes to an end. They win. They're the conference conference champions, and we're watching this all happen live. We watch the whole team jump off the bench, run out onto the fields. They're clapping and cheering and hugging each other, and they're jumping around, and Case and I are super excited watching this on TV. And as we're watching them all in the middle of this field, jumping around and hugging, we, I look, my phone's ringing, and it's Ben FaceTiming me. My son's FaceTiming me, and I'm like, so I answer, and there he is, live from the field, jumping around. He's so excited. We're watching him, and we're watching him, and it's just like all happening in real time. I was like, I've got to capture this moment forever. So I, I made sure to get some good screenshots to clearly remember this very special moment. There was another one. This is me just keep pressing the button all the time as I'm trying to talk to him. That was the closest, clearest picture. He's like, what? What are you saying? <laughs> But as we were watching, it was just a super proud moment for us as parents. And as I say, I've got three brilliant children, and I could tell you stories of all of that they've done that have made me proud. But I got to thinking about what I'm going to speak on this morning, and I guarantee you, however proud you are of your kids, however much you love your kids, however much you remember as a kid, a moment where your parents were super proud of you, all of those... All of those, I think, would pale into insignificance compared to how Abraham must have felt about his son, Isaac. However much you love your kids this morning, I wonder if it would ever be as much as this man, Abraham, who we've been talking about for the last few weeks, loved his son, Isaac. Because you see, we've learned over the last few weeks that Abraham, he had quite a unique life. He was born by the name Abram, and Abram actually means exalted father. So his name, when he would meet people, he would say, hi, exalted father, exalted father. Do you know how many children this exalted father had? Zero. No children whatsoever. And yet his name is exalted father. So all his life, he's living under this pressure of knowing I have no children, and yet my name is exalted father. And then one day when he's 75 years old, 
75 years old, God appears to him, says, hey, I want you to leave the place that you grew up, move out into this new area. I'm going to take you and I'm going to give you children and their children will have children and their children will have children and you will be the father of a multitude of people. Now, he's 75 years old when God tells him this. He has no children. God says, in fact, I'm going to change your name from Abraham to Abraham. The new meaning of the name Abraham, a father of multitude. So he goes from being exalted father to father of multitude and still zero children. 25 years go by from the time God told him this. And each time he goes outside, God has said to him, the stars in the sky, that's how many descendants you will have. Each time he goes outside and looks up at the sky, it's a reminder that still God hasn't come through on his promise. And then at the age of 99 years old, Abraham is 99, his wife is Sarah, she's 90. Miraculously, they have a child together. And his name is Isaac. After 99 years, the exalted father, the father of a multitude, finally becomes the father that God promised he would be. So I just, I I find it hard to believe that any of us would ever really have that, that kind of love. Imagine the kind of love he had for Isaac, having waited all that time for this son. Which is why the story that we're going to hear this morning about Abraham and this son Isaac is just such a crazy story. You may know the story, but even so, hearing it again today, I think you're going to think, wow, that is just the most bizarre of stories. It's the wildest thing you can imagine. But what I'm hoping, what I'm hoping is that by the end of the service this morning, by the time we get to the end of this service, you'll have a clear understanding of why God did what he did in this this situation with Abraham and his son Isaac. And more than that, you'll learn a little bit more about yourself, what it means to love, to give, to be loved. But let's get to this story itself. It's found in Genesis chapter 22. If you have a Bible, you can read along. If not, we'll have the words up on the screens to my side. Genesis 22, verse one, this whole story starts out with this sentence. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. So at the very outset of this story, before we even get into the story, looking back, the writer who's written this down tells us what's about to happen. What's about to happen in this story is that God is going to test Abraham's faith. So we know what's about to happen. And my guess is that no one here likes tests, especially pop quizzes, just sudden surprise tests. We don't like tests, do we? This week, my youngest daughter, she will be taking a test. For the last few days, she's been watching this video online that looks like it was made in about 1986, but it shows you how to drive a car and what the rules of the road are in Illinois. And she's been watching this video again and again and again because next week, she will sit down and she will have to answer some questions related to that video. And if she gets them right she will be given a permit and she will be allowed to drive the streets of Washington with me sat next to her if she passes that test. If she passes that test, I then will have some tests that I need to pass. Mine will be the test of my nerves, the test of my patience, 
the test as to whether or not I truly do believe in angels as I'm crying out to God, please send them, surround this vehicle, fill it inside and outside with as many angels as you can spare. But the reality is, whether we like tests or not, they are important. Because a test determines how much we really know. When she takes that test, it's going to determine whether she knows enough of the rules of the road to be able to drive a car. In school, a test shows how much of the subject you've actually understood or comprehended. You may have a medical test, and you take the test to to determine what it is that's actually going on right now in your body. So tests are good because they give us an answer. And God wants to test Abraham to see just how strong his faith truly is. How strong is Abraham's faith? So it sounds pretty reasonable until you hear the test that Abraham has to go through. And this is where things start to get a little bit crazy. Verses one and two. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. That son who you've been waiting all of your life for, 99 years, I want you now to go and sacrifice him. What kind of test is this? Now, we're going to talk later on in the message about how this wouldn't be a completely unusual thing for Abraham to hear based on the culture in which he lived at that time. But let's see how Abraham responds to this incredibly difficult test, this incredibly difficult um, question that God has asked of him. And let's remember here that we know now this is a test. Abraham doesn't know this is a test. All Abraham knows is that God has said, I want you to go and sacrifice your son. Verse three, the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and he took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. This verse doesn't sound like somebody who is fighting back, who is arguing with God, who is questioning all about this. No, he's, get, he's not just getting up, he's getting up early. He's getting an early start. He's getting everything he needs. He he is committed to doing what God has asked him to do, even though it's a crazy thing that God has asked of him. On the third day of their journey, verse four, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, he told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. Now, you may have heard this story before, but just let's, let's not just breeze over this. Let's really put ourselves here in this place. Abraham, it says here, um, continued on in this journey. On the third day, for three days, this father and son have been journeying together. What kind of conversation goes on between a father and son when the father knows where this journey has leaded? Maybe they were laughing together, telling stories. And all this time, Abraham is aware that he is on a journey that will end with him giving up his son. How does he do that? I think there's a little bit of a clue in this verse as to how Abraham was able to continue on in this journey. I don't know if you caught it, so I'll read it again. Abraham told the servants, the boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there. And then what? We will come right back. 
we will come right back. This is a man who's been told to take his son and to sacrifice him. But somehow Abraham is able to say to the servants, hey, we're going to go on a ways, but then we will come right back. I just have to believe when I read that, that Abraham in his heart of hearts, even though he didn't understand how, knew that God would come through. That somehow, despite what God had asked Abraham to do, he was still going to find a way to guarantee that both Abraham and Isaac would return back safely. He doesn't know how, but he does know that God is good. He does know that God is a God of love and mercy. He does know that God has promised Abraham that this son will give him many descendants. And at this point, Isaac, his son, has had no children. So he knows, lined up against the nature and the promises of God, that even though he's been asked to do something very difficult, that somehow God is going to provide a way out because of who he is. Verse 6. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire in the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together again. Abraham's faith, just believing God's gonna do this. Even when his own son started to question him, who, by the way, at this stage is probably at the very least in his teens. Maybe he's a young man. I think some of us, when we think of this story, think this is a child that has no control and is being coerced and taken. This is a young man who at any point could have said, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on here? I'm not in this. But Abraham trusted God. Verse nine, when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. In my mind, hearing that voice from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, it shows to me how committed Abraham was to this. I want to believe that Abraham's there and his son's there and, and Abraham's like, okay, God, I'm going to do it. Any moment now, I'm going to do it. I really know, seriously, I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, just waiting for God to stop him. But the fact that God says, Abraham, Abraham, it's almost like it was in the nick of time. He's going for it and he has to scream to stop him from following through. That's how committed Abraham was to following through. And again, this is, this is horrifying. Why would Abraham do something like that? Somehow, I believe he just knew that God had a way out, that God would somehow work this out. And in fact, there's a New Testament writer hundreds of years later, after the birth, life, and death of Jesus, who wrote a letter called Hebrews. And listen to how he describes that event. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. 
And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So this writer surmises that Abraham figured that even if he actually has to go through with what God has asked him to do, that somehow God will bring him back from the dead. Because this is the son who he promised all my descendants would come from. So I don't get it. I don't know why God's asking me to do this. I don't recognize this is the test that it is. I'm just going to do what God has asked me to do. Verse 13, then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So we have this incredible story, one that maybe some of you have heard before, of a father who who finally has the son who he'd been promised for, for dozens of years, having to take his son to kill him. And at the last minute, God intervenes. God stops him from killing his son. God provides him a ram that's caught up in the bushes. He said, kill that ram instead of your son. Why? Why is this story in the Bible? Why did this happen? What can we learn from this crazy story hundreds of years later? Well, for a few weeks now, I've known that I'll be teaching on this. I've been thinking about it a lot and and studying and reading and praying. and, And I've come up with these three ideas, three simple things that I think jump out to me when I read this story. The first thing um, is that children matter to God. Children matter to God. You may remember just a few months ago, we actually talked about this very story, Abraham and Isaac, and uh, we used it to demonstrate how valuable children are to God. Because you see, you see, as I said earlier, Abraham lived in a culture where child sacrifice was commonplace. There were multiple gods that people worshipped, and one of those gods was a fertility god. And people would pray and worship this God in the hope that they would have healthy children and multiple children. And from time to time, they would would actually sacrifice children to this God. So when God asked Abraham to do this, it wasn't an unusual request for a God in that realm to ask somebody to sacrifice a child. So Abraham went ahead. He followed what he thought was a normal command. But I think the reason God allowed Abraham to go through this whole thing and to stop him at the end was to make a very clear point here that This God, the God of creation, the God that we still worship here today, he will never be a God that accepts child sacrifice. Despite the fact that other gods in that region at that time did, this God would never be a God that allows child sacrifice. It was almost like he wants to make it clear through this story with Abraham that this was a God that valued the lives of children in a culture where children weren't considered to have value or importance. It started a precedence that that works its way through the whole Bible, even up to today, that God loves children. Children matter to God. We here at Connect find this principle to be so important, so valuable, that we've made it a part of our core philosophy. Here at Connect, we strongly believe that children matter to God. So we put an incredible amount of resources and time into working with children here at Connect, right now in Connect Kids. Children in this community, children around the world, making a difference in the lives of children because we understand that children matter to God. So I'm actually gonna push pause right now on the, uh, the message because I wanna do a quick announcement because, because children are so important, 
when we do our annual campaign, and next week we're going to kick off what we call Give 2022. We've been doing this for the last few years, and it's our way as we approach the holidays and we're thinking about what we can do to give to help others. We do this at Connect, and the the idea behind Give 2022 is we encourage anyone um, who feels led to do this, who are a part of Connect, to give $20.22 for every member of their family. So if it's just you, that's $20.22. If you're a couple, it'll be $40.44. If there's four of you, $80.88. We figured out that if everyone who's given in the last three months just did that, we'd raise about $11,000 that we could use to help organizations locally and globally. Now, in years gone by, we've had very generous individuals who have given over and above that. And we've been able to take all that we collect, and next Sunday, we'll be doing our Give 2022 offering. The fund is open now, so if you're not gonna be around next Sunday, you can still give online during the week, or you can come next Sunday ready to give. When we collect all that money, We're looking to help four organizations that are helping people in need, but specifically, they're working with children. So one of the organizations, Washington Weekend Snack Pack, is a local organization. I wanna tell you just a little bit more about them this morning, so check out this video. The idea of the snack pack is to replace the meals they would have got at school. Uh, A lot of these kids, you're either at the high end or the low end, and these families are struggling to put food on the table and feed their kids. So we set up the packing line on Monday night. We pack on Tuesday nights. We have a group that comes in on Wednesday uh, to regroup the snack packs by school and by class. And so the snack packs are loaded in totes and loaded on the trailer and delivered to the schools on Thursday and every Friday children go home with a snack pack for the weekend. And these are kids that that don't have food. And they come into school Monday morning hungry. And if you're worried about where the next food or stomach's growling, you aren't focusing on your studies. They are the ones that are gonna be running this government and running these schools and um, so so we need them to succeed. We can't have them failing. We can't have them dropping out of school. They need to be in school and stay in school, and they need to be excited at school. We need to help them find that excitement to learn and grow. That's a great local organization here in Washington that helps hundreds of children, especially, yeah, thank you, Snackpack, that especially helps families, children from families who are under-resourced and maybe struggling, you know, maybe food's a little more scarce in their home than others. And I'm so glad we can help them this year because I think maybe this year even more so, there are families who are, are wrestling with the idea of, man, we either pay the utility bill or we make sure the cupboards are full. But we can't do both. So knowing that this organization, they they gather this food, they pack this food, they send it home with kids so that kids who are maybe going home to a house where food is scarce have some foods to eat, some snacks to eat over the weekend. So we love being able to partner with them. We're partnering with three other organizations that you're gonna hear more about over the next week or two. And we hope to make a huge difference in them thanks to your generosity. But we always look for organizations that aren't just working with people in need, but specifically who are, who are helping children. Because oftentimes children can be um, the victims of a situation they have no control of. And we believe here at Connect that children matter to God. So we wanna make a difference.
The second thing that jumped out at me when I was looking at this story of Abraham and Isaac, it caused me to ask the question, how much of my life does he have? How much of my life does God have? Because you see, if you're here this morning and you've made a decision to follow Jesus, then when you made that decision, you, you basically said to God, God, I wanna follow you and, and my life is yours. I wanna commit to following you, I wanna give my life to you. And that's awesome. And that might involve you attending church on a regular basis. Maybe you give, maybe you serve in some way, but, but you've given yourself to God. What will happen and what I've seen happen in my life is that from time to time, you'll be tested. Something will happen in your life to give you an idea of just how much of my life I've given to God. In this story for Abraham, it was the son who he loved. It was the, the most important thing in his life. It was almost like God was saying, but do you trust me with your son? Do you trust me with the thing that you find to be most valuable? For us, it could be our time, our talents, our gifts, our treasure. We say, God, this is yours, but then suddenly we're faced with a test and we're like, well, I'm not sure if I want to give that. I'm not sure how much of that I want to give. And, and it's like a test to see just how much of my life does he have? But the third thing, as I was preparing for this message, the third thing I came up with, and I really believe this is probably the most important thing of this story. The most important takeaway when I look at this bizarre story that took place between Abraham and Isaac. God, why would you allow something like that to happen? I think it's because of the big picture. The big picture. Here's what I mean by this. Within this story of Abraham and Isaac, there's actually a, a, a bigger story that's being revealed. There's a bigger story that's at play here. Because I got to thinking about it. I mean, if, if the whole idea of this is just to determine how much Abraham trusts God, isn't there a less cruel way? Surely if God, you just want to decide if Abraham trusts you completely, there's got to be another way you can test him than ask him to sacrifice his son. That just sounds pretty extreme, God. Why that? Why not when he got up the next morning and went on his way? Why not stop him there, God? Obviously, he was committed to this. Why not? Why make him go the full three days? Why make him get to the mountain when he's actually got his son on the sacrificial pile? Why allow him to get all the way down? Why, God, did you let it go so far? And I think it's because the story we've just heard of Abraham and Isaac is actually a foreshadowing of an even greater similar story involving a father sacrificing his son. That story is kind of summed up in one verse in uh, uh, John's gospel. He's talking about um, Jesus and, and, and he explains this in John three sixteen that God, Father God, loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Hundreds of years after Abraham and Isaac a descendant of Abraham. So we know that Isaac was born and then Isaac had kids of his own and their kids had kids and their kids had kids and this, this father of nations grew and grew. And one of those descendants, hundreds of years later, was a baby who we're gonna be talking about a lot over the next three or four weeks, born in a manger by the name of Jesus. Jesus grew up to be a man. As a man, he did some incredible things, impacted lives, taught some wonderful, lifelong teachings that still affect our world today. But ultimately, the purpose in Jesus' coming was to come to give his life as a sacrifice. 
In the story of Jesus, there was no ram provided at the last moment. Jesus himself was the lamb of God, sacrificed in our place. You see, God loved you and me so much. Even if you've not yet made a decision this morning to love him, he still loves you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die in your place. You and I are never gonna be good enough. We can try as hard as we want throughout our lives. We can try to do as many good things. We can try and not do bad things, but we'll never reach perfection. We'll never be good enough. And God knew this, and and being a perfect God that he is, the only way to establish a relationship between a perfect God and an imperfect us was to send his son as a sacrifice in our place. And the story of Abraham and Isaac, how, how shocking it is, is kind of a foreshadowing of what God did for you and me through his son, Isaac. Do you know, when you study the Bible, uh, there's, there's something you can use, a study tool. It's called the law of first mention. The law of first mention. And this idea is that as you're studying the Bible, if you're wondering what something means, oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes, you can look back to the very first time that word appears in the Bible. It's normally in Genesis, because that's the first book of the Bible. Go back to the very first time that word appears, and then look at the context in which that word was spoken about. And that almost sets the scene, it sets the context for what that word will mean throughout the rest of the Bible. So, Knowing that, check this out. Genesis 22, verse 2. Abraham says to, uh, sorry, God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Did you know that's the first time the word love appears in the Bible? That's the very first mention of the word love. It doesn't show up in creation. It doesn't show up in the story of Noah. It doesn't show up in Abraham's life prior to this. The very first time we read the word love in the Bible is in the context of Abraham asking, uh, God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, who he loves so much. Clearly, God wants us to understand just how important this word love is. And it's great, because if you think about it, the word love is a word that's very important to understand the, the, the depth of it. Years ago, before Casey, my wife, and I were married, uh, we ran a ministry program where we'd have students come in and different pastors and teachers and leaders would come in and speak to them. And one of these pastors who would come and speak on a regular basis, he was a campus pastor down at SIU and he had a college ministry down there. And he was brilliant because our kids really enjoyed hearing him speak because he really connected with that college age person. He would often talk about relationships because at that stage of life, people were looking for a partner, you know, so he would talk about relationships and seeking God as you find a partner. And he talks about the word love, and he cautioned our students on the word love. He said, it's really important that you understand the word love. He said, I'll tell you why. He said, guys, you need to understand that when you hear and use the word love, it's different than when a girl hears or says the word love. He said, guys, when when a girl hears, I love you, she hears, I love you. She's like, wow. He must really love, love, love me because he said, I love you. That's how a girl hears the word love. He says, the problem is, guys, you can say, I love you, and you can say, I love cheeseburgers. And it kind of means the same thing in your head. (laughs) The word love doesn't carry the same value to guys as it does to girls. He says, so you guys, you throw that around pretty casually, but when a girl hears that, she takes that and means that. So guys, when you say to a girl, I love you, 
she hears it differently than the way you're saying it. So he said, here's my challenge, guys. You shouldn't say, I love you to a girl unless you're ready to say in the next sentence, will you marry me? That was his philosophy. I remember at the time thinking, that sounds a bit extreme to me. <laughs> but I wasn't married and I understood the concept of it. So when Casey and I started dating, I said to her, Case, I want to follow his advice. I don't want to tell you I love you unless I can then say, will you marry me? So for over a year, we dated and we got closer and closer and closer. And I would say, Case, I like you so much. I really, 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 really like you. But I committed to holding back on using the word love because I wanted to say it when it meant the most important thing it could mean. And then one night in September of 1997, I took her to a fireworks display because that was her dream to see a fireworks display with the person she loved. And in the middle of this fireworks display, I dropped to one knee and she just go, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get up, get up, get up. And I said, Casey, I love you. For the very first time, I told her I loved her. And then in the next sentence, I said, will you marry me? And she's like, I guess, which was lovely. I mean, that, that, was, the, uh, that was the response I was looking for, you know, I guess. And the good thing was she did guess well, because next year we'll be married 25 years. So it was, a, it was kind of a yes, and I took it. But that word love to me, I decided was going to be a very important word. The first time we hear the word love in the Bible, it's in reference to a son that's about to be sacrificed. That's the level of love that God starts out with. That's the level of love throughout Scripture. God says, when you hear me talk about love, remember the very first time I talked about it, it was about a father who was willing to sacrifice his son. And I wonder if that's why he allowed Abraham to go through this terrible test. Because he wanted a visual example. He wanted you and me to read the story about Abraham and Isaac and feel uncomfortable. Read this story and think, God, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. This is pretty cruel. And God to say, you're right. But I love you so much that that's what I was willing to do. And we should never get comfortable with that because he loved us so much that he was willing to send his son Jesus to die for us. And this morning, we have to decide what we're going to do with that knowledge. If that's how much God loves us, will we love him back? If you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, this is how much he loves you. It's a sacrificial love. Would you be willing this morning to respond and say, God, I love you? Maybe you are a follower of Jesus and the, the, the takeaway you get from this story is, but God, how much of me have I given? Have I given you a little bit of my life or have I given you every part of my life? Because you gave me everything when you sent Jesus to die in my place. In a minute, Winnie's gonna come up and close out the service and then right after we have a prayer team that are gonna meet right down here at the front. And I'd, I'd encourage any of you, if you would like prayer this morning to come down here, maybe you're going through a situation right now and you'd like someone to pray with you. I spoke to them this morning. I found out that last week there was somebody who came for prayer because they were uh, struggling to find an apartment. And Monday, this apartment they've been after for ages opened up. I believe God answers prayer. So if you'd like someone to pray with this morning, they'll be here. But maybe for the very first time, you'd like somebody to help you understand what the love of God looks like in your life. And you can come forward and they'll pray with you. They'll help you respond to that sacrificial love that God has poured out to you. But let's all pray now this morning. Father, as we close out this series on Abraham, it seems only fitting that the last story we look at in the life of Abraham 
is probably the most famous story, and yet it's also the greatest story because it is a, a picture, a foreshadowing of what you were willing to do for us. The only difference being at the last second, a lamb wasn't replaced, that Jesus was the lamb, that your son died in our place. Help us never to forget the great cost that was, the great sacrifice, but that God, you loved us so much you were willing to do it. And now we can have a relationship with you through Jesus. We don't have to work towards it. We don't have to be good enough or do everything right. We just have to come and accept Jesus. Say, thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you that you loved me so much that you were willing to give up to sacrifice your son. In return, Lord, I wanna follow you. I wanna give you my life. Like Abraham, I wanna give you everything because I believe, God, that you know me. You've got the best life imaginable for me. And I wanna trust my life to your hands. I wanna trust everything to you. Help us to take that step, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.